to The Truth In This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I'm privileged to be in conversation with the co-owner of the Sparkplug Coffee Truck. Please welcome Tony Lavero Jr. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I, I always joke with people. It's like I'm a 32-year-old millennial dude with a beard. So, like, my personality is 90% podcasts and craft beer. So, you know, being on a podcast for once is just the natural progression of things. It's a it's a big honor. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's great. I mean, I'm trying to get my beard back. I was clean shaven for a while, and I'm I'm 37. So, I'm like, look, I just – I got to get it before it turns gray. I just got to get it back. Once it turns all gray, it's like it's over. It's done. At this point, I'm afraid to know what my face looks like without one so i'm just i haven't seen it for a while yeah. it's like that, that video clip on uh, with the voiceover on instagram it's like guys with beards don't shave them just know you're ugly under it just know you're ugly <laughs> so you know th again thank you for for popping onto the podcast and uh, making the time and before we get too deep into the conversation let's uh let's talk about the story i see data i see coffee i see kind of a family business you know everyone has a role what have you here um so so tell us the story and ultimately how how do we get here when it comes to a spark plug, your work. Let's talk about it a little bit. Yeah. So um, I guess even data is only the last couple of years for me. Um, I was in um, undergrad. My major was literature and that was graduating right into the great recession. So I was like thinking about doing PhD programs. I used to write a bit. Um, and anyway, I took, I decided to take sort of a gap year um mm -hmm. to before you know applying to any phd programs which ended up being a great move because i decided i didn't want to do that um so i went to south korea um to teach for a year to just sort of buy myself time to think more or less um and then i really loved being in korea after that year was up i still didn't have any idea what i want to do but i knew that i wasn't a teacher um <laughs> the kids would just run all over me i just was not i mean I, I don't think i'm a bad teacher but i'm not good at wrangling kids um so <laughs> I, um, I did my master's uh, degree in um, uh, development and cooperation, international development and cooperation was sort of a specialty in um, economic development. Uh, so my thesis was pretty data heavy. Um, my first job out after the master's, I got in, in Korea working for this um, organization that sort of um, uh, ostensibly, it was sort of an arm of Seoul City uh, government sort of just for a, it was a knowledge sharing platform for IT programs um, between uh, city governments. Um, I did that for two years um, before moving back to Baltimore um, and still kind of working in the NGO international organization field, uh, working for a humanitarian, or, humanitarian organization, um, got a more data centric job since then. Um, again, it's just sort of like um, I wanted to be doing something I, you know, felt was uh, helpful, I guess, in the world. Um, sure. And uh, I, I was, I kind of enjoyed, I kind of enjoyed, well, sorry, I shouldn't use past tense. I, I still at times do enjoy data. Uh, as a, you're a fellow data guy, so, you know, sometimes it gets dry, but, you know, I, I still do at times enjoy it. But, um, you know, just having to be something that was fun, you know, that was fun. And, um, you know, I like working for, a, you know, humanitarian organization, even though I am as far removed from the actual, like, warm fuzzy feeling side of things as you could be but somebody has to do the number stuff uh and i know that i'm helping the people who are good with the warm fuzzy stuff do their jobs um but yeah so um since moving back to baltimore um you know i got married to my wife um we were friends in korea she's korean um and we started dating once we were here um we got married 
Um, she has an art background, um, but does dental hygiene now. And um, I think both of us are sort of doing jobs that are not, um, you know, uh, I guess super aligned with our sort of creative backgrounds, you know, me, me liking to write her with her art. And um, my father, he's, he's had a carpet cleaning business for probably about 20, 25 years now. And uh, he and I have been going back and forth uh, talking about, you know, food trucks idea, food truck ideas. And, um, for a while we had been retrofitting an RV, like a 1970s RV to do pizza. And we got pretty far along in that project, but I mean, I don't know, you've, everyone's had a crappy car before and everybody's lived in a crappy house. So to visualize an RV from the seventies, it's the crappiest car you've owned with the crappiest house you've ever owned sitting on top of it. So retrofitting that into a, a something that's going to pass, the health department's inspection in Baltimore city, it, it just wasn't happening. Um, so basically after like a year of just like wrenching on that thing, my dad and I were like, okay, even if we did get this finished, two guys can't run a full fledged food truck by themselves. No. And, um, in Korea, um, you know, this type of vehicle, I mean, basically any Asian country, you know, from Pakistan to, to Japan, uh, uses some variation of this type of truck that we use for spark plug, which is, um, it's called a, a K car and it's about 660 CC engine. It's tiny, but it's like a workhorse and it's, it's small enough that it can get up and down like tightly packed streets in like Seoul and Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, but it can still haul a lot of weight. So, um, a lot of times you would see like, you know, like contractors use them in Seoul, but you would also have, cause K-pop has like crazy fan culture. Mm -hmm. So um, every, the big enough idols will have their own fan club. And for that idol's birthday, they typically will pitch in and like have a coffee truck outside the idol's studio for all the staff. And uh, a lot of times they would use this style of truck. So I just put two and two together and I was like, Hey dad, I think, we could do a food truck without investing more money than we could afford to lose, you know, cause they're, they're pretty cheap to import. Um, it's small enough that it could be manageable with, with just two guys. And, um, it's also probably big enough still to carry all of the stuff that the Baltimore city health department requires you to have, because no matter what you're serving, you still have to have a three compartment dishwashing sink. You still have to have the hand sink. You still have to have a hot water on demand. Every surface has to be compliant with certain national standards, you know, so you still have to have all that stuff. So it was just like the Goldilocks vehicle <laughs> of, uh, you know, being able to get a food truck that two guys could manage. And then serendipitously, it's also really freaking cute. Um, so, it, it is. Uh, this is true. This is true. <laughs> yeah. So when we were going through design ideas, we, um, we worked with an importer, uh, who basically bids at it, bids at an auction for you, um, on your behalf. I think it was a farm vehicle I, before we used it. It's from 1995, which it has to be over a certain age, uh, for the EPA import regulations to allow it to be imported. Um, so that's kind of a loophole there. Um, yes. Yeah, so then while we were waiting for it to ship from Japan, um, we were going through design ideas and my wife and I really liked the idea of, um, vaporwave. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with, I mean, you, you know, enough artists that it's not even really an art movement. It was just mostly just like weird artists online on Tumblr being semi-ironic, just like spoofing, uh, Japanese mall aesthetics from the nineties, really. Yes. Like it never was. It was just a, it was always an ironic like critique of capitalism. Uh, but I it also you know it's a really cool. It kind of just took a life of its own after that. The design movement, and ironically, is now being used to sell things because capitalism kind of just 
appropriates everything in its right. path. So, um, yeah, so basically we were like, how can we make this look like a 90s mall food court with the vapor and the neon and the, the white tiles? And um, like my wife, because she did her undergrad, um, you know, in art school in Korea. And basically the way they do art school there is your first three years, they're like, okay, this is impressionism. Go to the studio and do it until you've got it. Okay, now this is, mo- this is you know, this is modernism go to the studio and do it. So basically she can just like look at an art concept for a little while and be like, all right, yeah, I, I got what's going on here. And, kind of <laughs> now. Um, and yeah, so she like killed it with the logo and the design and, and everything like that. Um, I don't know how, cause my dad and I were just total amateurs when it comes to DIY stuff. You know, he's kind of a jack of all trades. He did the welding for the frame. He did the plumbing and the electric. I, you know, installed a lot of the stuff, um, and somehow we got it to look like what she drew up on paper, which I still don't know how it worked, but, um, nice. yeah, that's pretty much, uh, how we ended up with spark plug coffee. No, that's, that's, that's great. And, um, you know, so that experience and, you know, being able to bring your, you know, one, having a project that you and your dad are co-owners of, but two, being able to kind of leverage some of those, those skills that your, your wife's art and having that, how, how was that, how did that feel when it's like, okay, this is coming together, this now exists, and what's the response been? Tell, tell me about that, the feeling of, you know, bringing it to fruition and the response so far. You know, so I mean, when it actually came to fruition and it looked like what we had imagined, there's still kind of like disbelief. I mean, not just that it came out looking nicely, but also too that it passed the health department's like really, really rigorous tests. It we got our license, and then the very first day in business, it just poured rain in Patterson Park, and we're like, okay, well, you know, that sucks, uh, but you know, we'll come back out again tomorrow. And um, you know, for a little while, people were just confused when they saw it. Um, you know, they're like, cause they haven't seen anything like that before. Um, so I, my dad, and I went back and forth, you know, he's, I've only worked for other people. He's been an entrepreneur before. So he's like, well, people don't know that it's got coffee inside. We got to put a sign that says coffee. And I'm like, well, should we get a wacky inflatable waving arms tube man too? Like, <laughs> I don't want this to turn into a car dealership. Cause I was really stubbornly hung up on, like, we had put so much effort into making it look like is this aesthetic. And I don't want to put coffee in huge letters in the sun. Yeah, so we went back and forth until we came to a compromise on that. Um, But I think really what helped too was just getting in on kind of events where kind of uh, creative type people like the Be More Flea, um, like that's our type of people. People there see it, they get it immediately, they love it. They're curious, they come over, they ask questions. just like pounding the pavement on social media on Instagram, getting a following, replying to every comment, um, you know, until we've kind of bought it, built it up to the point where people know that we're selling coffee, basically, because yeah. that's a big lift. Um, and you know, people they see it and they're just like, "Oh wow, like that's cool, like that's that's I haven't seen anything like this before." And then it's a talking, you know, it's a conversation starter, you know, and and, and it's just a lot of fun. I mean, we take so much pride in like telling people, yeah, we did this ourselves. You know, we, we, everything you see here, we built, we didn't pay anyone to do this. And, you know, and then you, um, you also meet people who are like K car enthusiasts. Um, I, I know like these two guys now who I see like all over the city at different events, uh, who have their K cars and they love them. And I like, uh, our only connection that we met was through having these quirky, tiny Japanese cars that like don't go very fast. <laughs> but it's like you find out that you're like part of a community now, and that's really cool too. 
Yeah. And, and, and I'm definitely in the zone or what have you and not knowing the name of it, but recognizing the type of vehicle. I just remember I was like, I need to search, search this out. I'm a coffee snob. This is not too far. And I walked over there. I was just looking for, I was like, where is the micro machine at? Where is it? I'm going to find it. And, you know, going there and, and having like the, the iced coffee, the, the cold brew situation there. So for the, for the folks listening, you know, you, you got it out there that, you know, we know that there's coffee on this truck, on this K car, if you will. What, what kinds of coffee, what do, what do you got? Cause I remember you touching on a little bit before we got started. You're in the espresso gang now. So let's talk about it a little bit. What, what, what can folks get from the, um, from the spark plug? Yeah. So, I mean, most of your standard lattes, um, you know, we'll do pumpkin spice, um, you know, uh, just straight up double shots if you want it. Um, something that I like to serve, um, is cafe bonbon, which is just, uh, equal parts, um, condensed milk and a shot of espresso. It's, it's, I've seen it in sp- and it's a big thing in Spain. Um, I have a massive, massive sweet tooth. So I, I, I mean, it's too sweet for some people, but it's just right for me. Um, <laughs> if you're, if you like the idea of a quick shot of coffee, but it's, you can't handle the bitter. Um, I, that's a really good way to go. Um, you know, we said different, different flavored lattes, of course, of course the cold brew, um, for certain events, like if we need to do tons and tons of volume, uh, we can do drip coffee. Um, what I love about the coffee brand that we use is rise up. Um, they're a Eastern shore, Maryland roaster and, um, their stuff is very, very versatile and very forgiving in that, um, you can prepare it a bunch of different ways and it still comes out tasting really good. Um, too. And then, uh, yeah, um, you know, you're pretty standard stuff. Um, just got to keep in mind if you come out, uh, it's going to take us a little while longer because we don't have three machines cranking with a, a row of baristas like Starbucks. Like we have our cafe is six feet by four and a half feet. So <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take a little while longer, but it, 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 we promise it's worth it. Now you, you just took me out of the K car market. I can't fit in there. I'm six, four. So it's just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> our ceiling is five ten my dad's five my dad's five nine i'm like five eight so yeah it, you would not have a good time in this in this truck i'm just a part of it it's just armor now it's like oh look at this person yeah. that came out of here <laughs> no it, it's like i really i really dug it it was really cute and i and i saw like when i when i pulled up it was a nice little line and you know the drinks were coming out you know and and that was really great and you know one of the things for me when i go to a place um whether it's mobile whether it's a brick and mortar whatever I I look for I'm, I'm I can get really pretentious because mm-hmm. I because I, you know I don't know if you've heard about the mythical drink known as the Rob Lee you know if you haven't had that you need to get familiar I haven't. it's uh, I basically like it's basically just uh, cobra uh, lots of cinnamon uh, and a little simple syrup that's it okay okay I can I can get that the cinnamon I like yeah so when when I go to a place that does a certain thing. I try whatever the simplest thing is just to get an idea what's the baseline. So if there's a place that's a bakery and they have chocolate chip cookies, I'm going to try the chocolate chip cookies. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can't botch that. And, you know, you guys didn't. And I, you know, as far as having like just regular standard coffee, it worked really well. And I go there for this experience and the uniqueness there. That's the mm-hmm. thing for me. It felt like, no, these are my people. And I was like, I need to investigate. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I mean, two things. One, I am a coffee snob, um, but (laughs) I don't want to run a business that way. Um, At home, I hand grind. I have a manual press lever. I, you know, but, and, you know, we talked to one coffee roaster that I won't mention by name, but they're 
really, really good quality, really good name recognition. And um, but they couldn't work with us because we, we weren't using La Marzocco or a Slayer. And mm -hmm. you know, it's like, okay, well, they if you're running a boutique place that used to be a blacksmith shop in 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 Brooklyn. And your clientele, you know, is looking for notes of cardamom and the, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> it's a great brand. And that's me. I am that guy. But like, I also don't want to deal with guys like me all day. You know what I mean? Like, there's, so I think I, I like to think of it as being a very uh, small D democratic coffee. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's for the people. And, you know, we like to go to events where people are having fun. We like to, we like to be an experience in addition to being, you know, a solid cup of coffee on top yeah. of that. Too. Yeah. I, I, th I had this belief that, you know, having a coffee shop in a, in a neighborhood and you guys are kind of like in various spots. Like, like I said, I walked over there and I think it's a French, but important sign of like a, a healthy community. Um, mm -hmm. cause there's an investment there. Like if you see a coffee shop there, you're like, Oh, okay, cool. This is, this is great. Especially if it's a neighborhood sort of coffee shop. I hate Dunkin'. I, I don't drink that. And mm -hmm. you know, Starbucks, uh, yeah, I could take, I could taste the, the midness. They have their place, but yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, really oriented on, you know, it's, it's important to have it. And, you know, in my neighborhood, and I, you know, told you earlier before we got started where I'm at, you know, we've had two or three shops close. Mm -hmm. Pandemic for certain took a toll. Yeah. yeah. But I'm an individual for a good cup of coffee, a solid cup of coffee. I will travel for it. I, I will go as far as um, one do or even a cafe dearly on for it. Mm -hmm. Why why was being more of a nomadic coffee experience important to you? Okay. All right. So you've like definitely fallen into a trap here because this is something I could talk about for like the next half hour because uh, it's something I've given a lot of thought to. Um, but I'm a big believer in um, the concept of space. Um, and so, I mean, every place has its own kind of coffee culture um, in Italy. You've got your pausa. It's the 15 minutes you take from the office in the morning to quickly go have a cup of coffee, a, a shot of espresso or a cappuccino standing. And, um, you know, that's their thing. In Korea, real estate is just outrageous. And most people live with their parents. Um, so if you are, you know, a 20-something who needs to go study or you want to meet a friend, it's a coffee shop. So really the cup of coffee is you're renting a table for two hours, you know, I mean, if the coffee is good, that's a bonus, but you know, it's, it's, it's real estate. Coffee is a real estate game in, in Korea. Um, and then in the U S um, I'm not sure if you've ever had a uh, La Sueños coffee over in Remington. Um, I highly recommend uh, Carlos is amazing guy. Um, I think he sort of told the story one time on, on his Instagram about how, when he first moved to the U S he was undocumented. He, um, he was in New York and there's a coffee shop he would go to and kind of just post up there every morning and people would read their paper and linger. And it was a, a sense of community. So for him, it's very important that his place doesn't have Wi-Fi because um, he wants people talking to the, to each other. Um, so I think when you have a shop, a brick and mortar shop, um, thinking about what your space means to people, what kind of space you want to be, you know, if it's a very coffee snob place, you know, maybe it's not a place where, you know, somebody comes and, and, you know, works for three hours, you know, maybe they want you to come in and have a really amazing cup of coffee and then get out. And so every coffee shop kind of has its space. And, you know, for, uh, like you say, for a healthy community, it could be a sign of, well, first off affluence, because coffee is not cheap. Um, and then, you know, that a neighborhood can support a coffee shop. Um, 
but our whole game is that um, <laughs> we don't have a space to give you. We're coming into your space. Um, you know, if it's Patterson Park or it's a, a, a vintage clothing market or um, we have some friends out in the county who do a, um, a classic car meet once a month. And, you know, so I just love the idea of um, you invite us into your space. We, we work under vampire rules. You have to invite us in. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, we occupy your space and bring an experience to you for a while. And um, I kind of love that because Baltimore is um, it's such an eclectic city worth you can walk two blocks and have a totally different atmosphere a totally different demographic of people um and i just kind of like being out each day uh serving a different community of people and being a guest in their space um so i think that's what when people have asked me like is the goal to have a brick and mortar shop and i, I haven't thought about the implications of that yet <laughs> i kind of like what we're doing right now i kind of like that aspect of it so uh yeah and i also too it's also nice that um you know, unfortunately, a couple of those, like you mentioned, near Patterson, a few places went out of business. Um, I don't expect that that space will be empty for very long. I do imagine there's going to be a coffee shop filling in there soon. But in the meantime, we're happy to occupy that vacuum, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I think that I think that part kind of segues me into seg, seg, segues us into this kind of final question I have. And it's very open ended, obviously. But uh what are you hoping to to plan out, you know, for, for the future, what have you, do you want to have, um, you know, different options there? Do you want to incorporate food in any way? Tell me about that. Honestly, a pie in the sky thing for me would sure. be, and this is totally just, uh, this is probably years down the line. Who knows if I'll ever even get there. I mean, I would love to just buy up a property, maybe where a restaurant went out of business and, do very simple coffee out of the front. Um, and then a big, a huge um, obstacle for food trucks is um, you need to have a commercial kitchen that is your base of operations um, or you will not get a license as a food truck. And it is, people absolutely price gouge you on it. And it is such an obstacle to equity in the business. Uh, and, you know, it's, it is a huge, um, startup cost to find a place. Um, so my sort of, I would never want to have a big coffee shop, but if I just had a small storefront and then out of the back, I ran a kitchen for other food trucks to park and do their thing. Honestly, that, that would be a really, uh, that would be awesome for me. I think that's something that would really, uh, make me happy, uh, but no, I don't, I don't see like a fleet of trucks or like a, <laughs> a huge storefront or anything like that. I, I don't think that that would make me happy, honestly. And like I say, I, I still have, I still have the data analyst job and I kind of just like having a lot of hands in the fire. Uh, I got a lot of nervous, anxious energy. And for whatever reason, it seems to just uh, pouring myself into a few things at once kind of just works for me. Yeah. Having a few plates spinning at a time. That's, that's great. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very similar in that, you know, there are two different sides of the brain, you know, when you're doing mm -hmm. something creative, it's like, okay, I'm doing this. And in some ways, being an analyst, you know, it's very much my personality type. I find mm -hmm. ways to systematize what I do creatively to be mm -hmm. able to do a workload like this. And, you know, when I tell people like, oh, I did 15 interviews this week. And it's like, that's your full-time gig? No, no, it's not. Yeah. And, you know, having a system that I think works for me, it's like having a system, working the system and, you know, getting what you get. And, you know, being that I know 
35 to 40 minutes is about the sweet spot for a podcast. Uh, and there's data that backs that up. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I do an hour long conversation, great, but it's on me, it's incumbent upon me to kind of work within that. And that just comes from being a data analyst in the day job yeah. and being able to chase this creative stuff. There's different advantages to being a data analyst. Um, and very few of them have anything to do with numbers. Um, a lot of it is just like being able to recognize patterns, uh, yeah. trying to think, uh, trying to look, I think the big, a huge one is looking for confounding variables, you know, Oh, was it the weather this day? Well, yeah, maybe, or it could have just, or it could have been such and such, you know, you know, something along those lines. And, um, I mean, I can tell you absolutely that the numbers don't help me at all with business because I've been trained how to, I can't do a regression analysis on like the number of cups we used, you know, like I, I, I pretty much can only work with data sets in the thousands. It doesn't really work for a coffee business, but <laughs> yeah, just that, just trying to be able to like, it's cliche, but think outside the box or, you know, um, you know, yeah, that, I think that's when it actually comes in handy too. Right, so I, I want to hit you with some rapid fire questions. Um, some of these are ridiculous. I just want to let you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, don't overthink them. Uh, I'm going to start off very simple. Uh, favorite color? Blue. Okay. Uh, tell us about a time. <laughs> t- tell me about a, um, like what was the, you know, outside of your own home, what was like a, a really like memorable coffee experience you had? So I was a study abroad student in Rome and, mm-hmm. um, for the first two months of the program, uh, we would take intensive Italian classes in this one particular neighborhood. And then um, those classes ended. And uh, so we stopped going to the coffee shop. We would always go to the same coffee shop in the, in the mornings in between the, the sessions for that Italian class. Um, so I didn't go back for a couple months. And then um, I had some friends visiting. And we just so happened to be in that neighborhood again. And um, the guy, you know, I did you know that he does huge volume in that coffee shop but you know he re- he remembered me he knew my name he hooked us up with free coffee and stuff like that and um because this guy had like the meanest mug on him this old <laughs> italian guy he had the meanest mug on him and even when he was like he told me the coffee was free that time he even looked angry when he was doing it. he was like ah, get out of here <laughs> and um that was his love language i guess uh that was really that was a really memorable experience that i really appreciated that's great. That's great. Um, yeah, like uh, I, I remember it was this one time when uh, I used to work at a, a Spanish speaking call center and I was a marketing data analyst there and, you know, f- coffee fellowship. Right. And mm-hmm. I, um, the director of our team, he was um, is one of his parents was Italian. His other parent was Cuban. So mm-hmm. he was like, we're going to have the shot. It's two thirty. We're going to have the shot. So he pulled out the Cuban coffee. And oh. it was the shot. And that was the first time I had coffee that strong. And I was like, uh-huh. yeah, I can run through a wall now, guys. Let's get it. Like the, the Cafe Bustello with the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That stuff is, yeah. Strong. And that's, that's kind of all I drank down when I get a K cup. That's I, <laughs> always that. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. What is something that makes you laugh? That always makes you without fail. That always makes you laugh. Animals doing people things. <laughs> that's yeah that's, it, that's it's, it's very reliable <laughs> like if I, a dog has his hands his paws up on the steering wheel yeah that's that's gold we uh my, my partner and i we have a um we have a, like a 95 pound sheep doodle and mm-hmm. uh he's black he's, he's so goofy and he definitely puts the paw on you to let you know like i own you right now <laughs> so when he does that i take my glasses off and hat off and i'll put it on him just to see how long <laughs> he'll let me keep it on him and we're, we're, we're timing it. We're at about 10 seconds before he like gets really tight. So it's pretty great. That's great. Uh, 
you I think you're going to like this one. I just added these last two, but I think you're going to like this first one. All right, I'm ready. What is the most overused business cliche you've heard? Yes, yeah, you, know, you always buy time for yourself by saying that's a good question uh, when you don't have an answer for it. Um, yeah. I, mean, I don't know about like a whole expression, but um, I, I really what really grinds my gears is um, cliche jargon, just jargon terms that don't really mean much of anything. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, half the time, uh, synergy, oh holism, stuff yeah. along those lines. Those always kind of. Uh, Okay, every word has its place. I'm an English major. Every word has its place. But like, sometimes they just lose meaning once you overuse them. So I can't think of an expression, but I can think of a few words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like I said, my background was in like marketing data. So I would hear mm-hmm. the jargon all the time. It's like, yeah, well, you know, soup to nuts when the rubber meets the road. I was like, I'm gonna light everything on fire in here. The best though is, is, is sports terminology, but just slightly wrong. Oh, God, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, it's, we got to move the chains and then, uh, yeah, hit a home run. It's just like, oh, man. It's like, all right, I'm quarterbacking this, like, less, less. Yeah, I'm a little bit too cynical for office life, though. That's, that's my, that's, that's my, uh, my problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I, can't, I can't do it. And I find that it, it permeates other lanes. And there have been environments that I work at and I'm, that I've worked at. And I'll say, like, so we're in higher ed that it's, it's it's higher ed but we have the budget of a nonprofit, but we're trying to run it like a corporation i was like those things mm-hmm. don't go together i yeah. was like you're not paying me enough to listen to this <laughs> part of something because of my cynical nature it like starts to permeate other parts of your life and that's not a great thing so part of what i'm enjoying about food service is that like you can't be a cynical jerk like either you're not going to have customers that way so it's hospitality you force yourself to be amicable for however many hours a day and then even though you're even though you're kind of forcing yourself it still makes you feel happier it's like it's it's great and then it you know that carries over to other parts of your day and i kind of really appreciate that i'm learning from it too yeah and i i remember it's it's one place and you know we, we might talk about this off mic but it was one place where I was just like, okay, I'm coming here first thing in the morning regularly. This is my coffee place. I, I don't need the attitude first thing in the morning. It's just mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, hospitality. And I think that's, yeah. you know, what some people kind of like had to reckon with that these mm-hmm. these ideas around hospitality, especially during like a pandemic and towards the, yeah. I guess, the back nine of it, if you will, where, you know, people who have really good like uh hospitality not even customer service but hospitality mm-hmm. making you feel like the people that are there you know feel like they're welcomed you know it's just like yeah. that's what it is because i can get slog from dunkin donuts or what have you i'd rather go to the coffee you can make a really good coffee at home yeah i got and good beans like, <laughs> and it's cheap it's cheap when you make it at home too yeah <laughs> you don't want to pay that kind of money for attitude yeah so this is the last question I got for you. Um, you mentioned earlier that you have a sweet tooth. What's your favorite dessert? Oh, just chocolate ice cream with whatever mix-ins, you know, brownie. It could be cookie dough. It could be, yeah, just chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. And with, with copious amounts of fudge on top. The, the, the ice cream is almost a vehicle for just more fudge. It's <laughs> like it. 70% fudge to 30% ice cream is a good ratio. I'm I'm so shout boring. Out, shout out to Be More Licks because uh, they they let me come in there and they just I'll just be like, look, just put more fudge on there than you think a person wants to eat, and then put a little more than that. And yeah, they don't judge me. Yeah, I've I've gotten to a spot where between Be More Licks and Tahaka Brothers, whenever I get any like graham cracker or anything inside the ice cream, oh, the honey graham from yes. Tahaka Brothers, yeah, and the key lime the- brownies. 
the key lime is my go-to. Like you give me that key lime, I'm I'm a very happy person. <laughs> oh, I gotta try that one too. Yeah. My, my other thing too is though, if I if I like the first thing I order at a restaurant, every time I go back there, I'm never gonna try something else. That's a huge per- it's a huge personality flaw because it makes me come off as a not adventurous person. But like, I like what I like. <laughs> Yeah, like um, when I go to Little Italy and I go to La Scala, that's like the place I always go to. And I was like, chicken salt and bulka, please. Thank you. And it's like, it's not even on the menu. It's like, that's the chef's thing. I was like, well, that's what I want. So yeah, if you've gone to a restaurant with me and ordered and noticed that about me, you would never guess that I like moved to the other side of the world and lived there for five years. Like I would come off as a very boring person. <laughs> I, I remember talking with um, one guest I had on. He's like, my diet is that of a five-year-old's chicken fingers and fries. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, one 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 friend who saw me grocery shop one time told me it's like you're like an eight year old latchkey kid who like got got the who got like the keys to the car to go shop for the family. That's that's funny. So uh, with that, I want to thank you for coming onto this podcast and talking a little bit about your biz and your background and all. I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check you out, where to check out Spark Plug, all of that great stuff, uh, social media, and all the floor is yours. Okay. So, uh, we're most active on Instagram. Um, it's going to be at sparkplug.coffee. The period is important because we do share a name with a, a, a coffee roaster in Canada, uh, and they don't have the period. So it's sparkplug.coffee. I checked, we didn't break any laws. It's just, they don't even serve coffee out of a vehicle. So I don't know why they name themselves spark plug, but yeah. So Instagram is always Instagram is always an easy way to find us. I'm like, I'm, I'm too online. Um, we also have a website, um, sparkplug.coffeetruck.com. Um, we're going to be doing a lot of pop-ups um, this, this fall and into the winter Christmas season. Um, so we'll always try and post our schedule at least um, four or five days before the weekend. Um, we're available for catering far enough in advance. Um, you can always shoot me a message. We'd love to talk about how to make your, uh, your um, event more memorable. And um, just look forward to continuing to meet people around town and, uh, and have a good time. So there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Tony Lavero Jr. from Spark Plug Coffee, Spark Plug Coffee Truck. Uh, I'm Rob Lee, saying that there's coffee in and around your neck of the woods. You just got to look for it. Mm-hmm.